somebody who is, uh, you know, a bartender or somebody that uh, works at a convenience store finds it extremely difficult to be able to uh, find affordable housing here. And, you know, with, with that in mind, you, you know, we, we, when I called the city and I talked to one of the planners who I knew fairly well and I told her what I was thinking, I mean, the first comments out of her mouth were, boy, do we want to talk to you. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 52 with Bob Lieb, the founder of Escalante Village. I asked Bob on the show because I've been seeing lots of posts online about Escalante Village, which is a riverfront tiny house community in Durango, Colorado. And what really struck me about Escalante Village is the mix of a fantastic location close to the downtown of a desirable city, the price point of very affordable rent, and a mix of tiny houses that are available for rent and also empty spaces where people can bring their own tiny houses. I wanted to have Bob on the show because I wanted to hear about his vision for the community as well as the challenges that he faced in going through zoning and planning and all those things that everyone is going to need to go through as they work to legalize tiny houses or develop a tiny house community in their own town. I hope you stick around because it's a great interview. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is sponsored this week by the Tiny House Design Build Certificate at Yestermorrow in Waitsfield, Vermont. The Tiny House Design Build Certificate is for everyone from professionals entering the tiny house market to DIYers who want to design and build their own home. This is the most comprehensive tiny house course available. The curriculum covers all the must-knows for the tiny house design build and offers students hands-on experience designing, drafting, and building a tiny house on wheels for a real client. To learn more, visit yestermorrow.org slash tiny. And use the coupon code PODCAST to waive the $25 application fee. Again, that's yestermorrow, Y-E-S-T-E-R-M-O-R-R-O-W dot org slash tiny. And use the coupon code PODCAST to save $25. Thank you so much to Yestermorrow for sponsoring our show. All right, I am here with Bob Lieb. Bob has a 56-year history in business, manufacturing, commercial real estate, and is the developer behind Escalante Village, which is Colorado's first tiny home community in Durango, Colorado. Bob Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ethan. So what gave you the idea to create a tiny house community in the first place? Well, I had heard about tiny houses and had some intrigue level, and uh there was a couple years ago, I was beginning the process to, of building a, uh, enclosing what's called an endless pool where you swim against the current. And a uh, neighbor saw the framing going up and everything. I had put it on top of a trailer in case I didn't like where I had it and I could move it. Um, so, so it was pretty uh, noticeable from the road. And my neighbor said to me, Bob, what are you doing? And I said, I'm building a tiny home for my pool. And that night I went to bed and I, as I do more than often than I should, I started thinking real hard about the tiny home thing that was running through my brain. And I had a piece of investment property that was uh, 
in a very wonderful location in Durango, uh, one of only two developable lots on the river that are left in town. The other is next door to ours. And I started thinking, boy, that would be kind of fun to do a tiny home development there. Uh, And so I immediately started getting online and looking about tiny homes. I came more intrigued. I saw where there was a tiny home jamboree in Arlington, Texas coming up soon. And so I went to that. I, my son, who uh, had been in business with me in some real estate ventures, uh, now lives in Houston. He came up from Houston for it. And we got both got quite interested and intrigued and thought a lot of fun. And it's been an idea that hasn't left my uh, side for <laughs> what's, what's a year and a half now. Well, that's fantastic. You know, the the tiny house community needs people like you who are experienced in development to help pave the way for these kinds of communities. If if there's one thing that I hear more often than anything else from people who are both hoping to live in a tiny house and people who already live in a tiny house is that they struggle to find a place to park it and a lot of them want to live in a community type setting. Um so is Escalante Village um, just like your standard neighborhood, except it has tiny houses in it, or are there some special features? Like, is there any kind of communal buildings or resources in this uh, iteration? Well, uh, not of my doing. This is a piece of property that's uh, sandwiched between a middle school and then uh, there is commercial on the other side of us, and as well as a coffee shop and some retail and that type of thing. And then one block away, if you wouldn't even call it a block, uh, is a uh, Walmart superstore. So there is commercial activity nearby. It's not mine. Mine is just a, a lot all by itself in, in this particular neighborhood. We have uh, the wonder of, of having the Animus River, the river that runs through our city, uh, right at our front door on our lot, as well as a uh, river trail that the city has uh, built over the years. And it's currently 10 miles. There is a branch off of that that is going to go right next to our village um, in going over to an area called Three Springs, which is an, a newer development in Durango that will extend the trail out uh, approximately another seven, eight miles. So it, it's got a lot of amenities right where it is from where we are. If you someone wants to jump on a bicycle, they can be in the downtown area, which is kind of our happening place, if you will. They can be downtown within... Uh, 15 minutes. Fantastic. I, I noticed on the FAQ page, which is extensive, um, that RVs are, are not allowed? Or actually, I'm asking, are RVs allowed? And how do you make that distinction? This is going to be a tiny home village only. We do have a slight exception for some tiny homes that are considered park models. But there are no mobile homes, the classic mobile home that you think of, the classic RV that you think of, and um, probably a couple others that don't come to mind right now, but we want it to be exclusively tiny homes. And people say, well, what's the difference between a tiny home and an RV? And, you know, I don't know if I have an explanation, but you sure know it when you see it. Right. And um, and 
you know, basically it's just like, I, I, people ask me sometimes, you know, so what's a tiny home? And I said, it's a, it's a, it's a regular large size home with all the air sucked out of it. And basically that's what it is. It I looks like that. Just like, just like a house. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there are 24 spaces total and six of those are rentals. How do the rentals work? Yeah, let me back up a step. We are officially 22. We were, our original plan was 24. The city of Durango said we did not have enough space for storage. We enlarged the storage, thereby reducing the homes to 22. And uh, since we've been taking reservation, we're asking people if they want storage. And it looks like now we are going to have too much storage. So we're going to, <laughs> long story, but we're going to go back to the city at some point and say, um, we want to eliminate two of the storage areas and put homes in there and be back to 24. Regardless, that's just, you know, city semantics. But um, the, the 22 that we have and, and, and the storage, we purchased originally six and now seven tiny homes for ourselves. Those we brought to town because because we wanted people to see what a classic tiny home was. We bought them from two di three two different manufacturers. One was built locally, and so we have those, and those are going to rent. And people can look at our website to see what they rent for. Currently, all of them are spoken for. All all of the rentals. Okay, so these will be rentals that will have full time residents, not like rentals on Airbnb or something. Yes, that's another criteria for our village. I'm a community type person, and I want it to be a community. I want us to all know each other. I don't want people coming and going on a daily basis. I don't want the management for all of that. And so we uh, we are asking everybody to sign a one-year lease, even if they're not going to be here for the full year. <clears throat> we have a couple people, one from Florida, one from Arizona so far that I know of, that are going to be just here during the seasonal year, uh, which is somewhat common here in the mountains. We get people that come for the summer and leave for the winter for understandable reasons. And so those 22 spaces, every single space, people will rent. They won't own the space. They'll rent the space. And then, as I said a minute ago, the seven houses, if they are one of the people that have selected the rental houses, they will rent the house in addition to the rental space uh, that they get. And then the rental, um, uh, the people, the other uh, spaces that are not our seven houses, people are bringing their own tiny home. Great. And are they are they all spoken for or are there still some spaces available? This has been an interesting process, Ethan, very interesting. And I say this in case other people who are in the process of doing this, we knew we weren't going to open to April, May, and now it looks like June because of the heavy winter that we're having. And But we did start taking reservations uh, middle of September. And by the week of Christmas, before Christmas, we had all 22 spaces spoken for. But interestingly enough, that's with people dropping out and, and, and coming in. Since that time, <clears throat> we've had the same pattern. There are some people that drop off. There are new people that have signed up. And right now, we are at 19, not 22. We've, so we've dropped down three spaces. But 
Um, I know <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of just because I saw the pattern and the enthusiasm people get that have for wanting to live in a tiny home community that if we were open today and I hadn't one reservation, I know it would be full in two months. It just, uh, the interest that out there is, is fascinating. We have had people who are planning to move here from different parts of the country. That's, um, at least half, if not more than half of the folks who have, uh, sent in reservation. And, um, I don't know if I said this or, but it's on our, our webpage that people who uh, do want to sign up and get a priority number, uh, they, they send $500 and that's refundable for any reason whatsoever. No questions asked. And as I said, we've had, uh, so far, uh, 11 people who have originally signed up that have since uh, retracted their desire to uh, live in tiny homes. And it, some of the reasons are interesting, all the way from some person has a terminal illness to um, a loss of employment uh, in the local area, that type of thing. Um, so all the reasons are varied, but at the same time, it's, it's fascinating. And I've, while I've uh, been in real estate for a while is half of my profession in life. It's my, um, sometimes I say it's my part-time job, but uh, you know, I've never done much in the residential area. I've all just done commercial primarily, industrial buildings and retail stores and that type of thing. And so I'm, I'm learning the trade, but it's interesting how uh, fluid people are these days with regards to how life quickly changes for them certain reasons and uh, that necessi necessitates or desires a need to uh, live somewhere other than where they thought they were going to live or where they are living. So anyway, I impart that knowledge for what it's worth. Yeah. And you know, this, it seems like <clears throat> given the desire for this type of, I don't want to call it housing, but I guess it is housing. Um, it seems like a great business opportunity for someone who might happen to own land in a place where people want to live. Uh, are you finding that, you know, the numbers are working out well for this? Like, are, are you excited about it? Well, let me say this. The numbers uh, were better before I uh, have now come to grips with the reality of what I am doing. As I said, I haven't done residential before. But also, uh, our community is very strict with regards to development. It um, has not been an easy process. The requirements of the city with regards to information that they want from us uh, has uh, given us so far a engineering budget that is uh, an engineering amount that so far has doubled what I originally anticipated. And some of the prices for construction are coming in higher than I originally thought so um, while before I uh, you know thought it was going to be a quote very good um, investment opportunity uh, I would you know on all honesty today I would just say it's going to be a good investment opportunity and uh, but you don't know until you pay the last construction bill and uh, then it also depends upon whether or not your imagination of trying to concoct how you're going to manage it. If that falls within your proposed budget, that's also something to think about. So um, 
and I so but anyway, a, a lot of it is just because uh, we have some very, um, you know, just uh, thousands of rules about how you can and cannot develop. And our city is especially protective of the river, and they're protective of the the view of the river, and they're protective of. Um, you know, a lot of other things. We're a tree city is an example, which means every tree we cut down, we have to measure, you know, to make way for development, we have to measure the tree stub at the, at the base and then uh, multiply that times two and have that number at least at least be uh, uh, duplicated somewhere else on the property when we landscape, things like that. It's kind of interesting, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it sounds like, there are a lot of hurdles that you had to kind of jump over to satisfy the city. But I, you know, I will say, you know, kudos to you for going through it and also good on Durango for being willing to, to allow it to happen because, you know, we hear about people who are just told absolutely not, like you cannot live in a tiny house in this town. So at least there is some wiggle room there to, to get it yeah. done. Yeah, and uh, Ethan, I, I will say I commend the city of Durango. I, I think our leadership is all about a progressive attitude towards uh, different types of development. We, not unlike a lot of other mountain towns, we have challenges relative to what people can make, uh, what income they can make versus what it costs to live here. We have um, a tremendous amount of young early retireds who have moved here, people that have brought their wealth with them. And that dynamic, like I uh, said, in other mountain towns have driven up the prices of real estate where somebody who is, uh, you know, a bartender or somebody that uh, works at a convenience store finds it extremely difficult to be able to uh, find affordable housing here. And, you know, with, with that in mind, you, you know, we, we, when I called the city and I talked to one of the planners who I knew fairly well, and I told her what I was thinking, I mean, the first comments out of her mouth were, boy, do we want to talk to you? So the city has been very open. We have had uh, no issues going through two sessions with the planning commission and getting approval from them. That's a citizen board. And then, of course, the citizen board of the city council, we've had no issues relative to getting approval from the city council. Um, our issues, as I referred to a little bit earlier, primarily with the with all of the finer details that um, the, the planning staff has, the engineering staff has, the people that govern the stormwater management plan, all, all of those types of things um, are have been the part that's taken um, you know, I've lost a few hairs over. <laughs> <laughs> so that actually made me wonder, uh, you know, about the infrastructure that you are providing. So what does each home site include in terms of utilities and um, what, do, what is the tiny house actually parking on? Is it gravel? Is it, you know, a concrete pad? Maybe you can talk about that. Okay, uh, let me explain that. But f first of all, I agree with what you said. So many tiny home people, as I've learned, um, there, there, are, there are four tiny homes for sale in this town. I purchased one of them, so there's now three 
um, one of those three is sitting on our property with a for sale sign on it. People have built tiny homes, but they can't sell them to anybody because when the reality of where to put it comes up, um, that's that's hard because even if somebody's got five acres out in the middle of nowhere, there's still quite a bit of infrastructure beyond the tiny home that they have to invest in. Uh, whether it be, you know, how are they going to do power? How are they going to uh, get rid of wastewater, their sewer? Um, and, you know, how are they going to heat their space and where are they going to put it? Is the building department going to allow it? They have to make sure that it was built according to the standards that the building department would allow. Uh, so there are just a ton of issues that people find when they go, I think I'm going to buy a tiny home and put it on five acres. So even if there is no city code stand or county or city code standards, there still is the infrastructure area that is so extremely problematic and or expensive beyond that. Okay. So that being said, I think that's why we've had um, the success that we have had to date. Um, our, our, 22 homes and perhaps 24 eventually, um, all will have uh, city water piped individually to their unit. They will all have uh, sewer from the local sanitation district, and that obviously goes away in a pipe. And then they will have electricity that uh, comes individually to their space, just like you would at an RV park or some mobile homes parks. And then uh, we will not have gas, but they're allowed to have a 20-gallon, a 20, excuse me, a 20-pound uh, propane tank if they choose to have that for heating or for cooking. So um, what else did I miss? Oh, yeah. And then we are in, buried within our electrical lines underground. We will have um, a cable uh, that is connected to an um, Internet provider. And we're also working with one of the uh, dish people. We're, we're not going to allow uh, dishes attached to the houses uh, just for uh, aesthetics. And so, but we will have it available, a dish on site and then a small one. And then people can draw off of that through a cable that goes underground to their space. Now, as far as the space is concerned, kind of think of it as a, as a long rectangle uh, with if you drove through the middle of it, and you will, uh, on a road that can is wide enough for two lanes, 30 feet wide, um, the first thing on each side is a place for at least two vehicles for each house to have on a parking lot. And right now, that will either be paved or a porous paver called True Grid um, that will be there for people to park on. After that, going out from the middle, um, you've got 40 feet of, and that will be the base materials, class six road base, you know, just like hard gravel that's got sand in it so it can compact. And the home will sit on that. And then um, their space is 20 feet wide. So now, depending upon how wide their house is, uh, the rest of that is a patio space, and they can put down there anything they want, whether they want uh, to eat, a, either leave it or they want a wood patio, they want to put stone pavers down for a patio, 
however they want to do it and then put out some chairs or whatever would be, make them feel happy and comfortable. So the spaces that the houses go on, as I mentioned, it's 40 feet deep, 20 feet wide. And uh, behind each space of the house, uh, if the house is, doesn't take up the whole 40, space, 40 feet, they're allowed to put a storage unit behind them, provided that it matches um, the uh, at least the colors, uh, if not the color and the siding of the house. We don't want uh, a mishmash of different looking sheds uh, there. So they have to pretty much match the house. One of the rules of the, of the village will be that any loose things, bicycles, tricycles, uh, I don't care what it is, um, if it's uh, at night, it has to be put in storage behind the house. Uh, we don't want a bunch of just a junk lying around. Uh, again, that's for aesthetics. If uh, we are going to request that after three or four months that they're there, that they cover at least the wheels with uh, a skirting, if not the whole house, they can do the whole house, of course. We will ask them if they have a front-facing tow hitch that that be skirted as well. Um, each In front of each tiny house are two planters that we've designed ourselves. They're two wood planters that will have inside of it a big metal planter that will house either shrubs or a tree. And uh, that's based on a landscaping design for the village. And that breaks up in between, those are in what was what you think of as the car parking space. So like for instance, in front of each house are these two planters, one in front of the other, and then two cars. So that's, that's what's in, in front of their house before you hit the street, okay? So uh, in those planters, um, they are there for two reasons. Um, the planters, obviously, as you drive through the park, it'll add some landscaping and a beautification um, thing to add to the ambience of the village. Number two, the planters that we've designed can only be moved if you pick them up with a forklift, which we have a forklift, and we have a skid steer that operates that forklift, um, and that's so that we can pick them up and move them in and out when someone moves their house in or moves their house out. Uh, it's also was kind of an idea for, uh, I was working with the local bank to be able to provide financing for tiny homes. And one of their issues, which I learned when I went to the Jamboree, of course, with insurance carriers as well as uh, financiers of tiny homes, is how do we keep them or somebody else from driving off with them? Well, in our village, uh, someone will have to leave only with our ability to let them leave because we will have a, the forklift that picks up the landscaping and moves it out of the way. Okay. So it kind of, uh, you know, it, it accomplishes three things in once beautification, security for the house, security for the lender, and uh, also, like I said, provides a nicer place to live and uh, gives our. Uh, our manager uh, something to do to go around there and keep watering the planters. No, <laughs> but uh, and then within each um, within the patios of each one, we have offered uh, to pr provide two small planters um, that would go in the patios 
the city was concerned about some privacy between the places. I think in a tiny home village, you are going to have to sacrifice some privacy. You are living very close to to your neighbor. Uh, sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's not good. It just depends on the on the um, dynamic of the of the people, <laughs> and so. Uh, if somebody wants to have some little shrubbery between them and the other one, we will assist in that effort. Um, yeah, it will, uh, as, as you drive closer towards the river, um, through the middle uh, on the street, as I said, it will go through the middle of the village. Uh, at the very end will be an, what we call an amenity area. At this point, it looks like it's going to be a little picnic area, just a picnic table and maybe a barbecue or something like that. And then the road goes down and exits out, goes down a little hill, and small hill, and exits uh, to the south and, and uh, picks up on the street again. And um, to, uh, to the west of that little street that goes out, will be a community garden, small little community garden for those who want to do that. It's something I'm into, uh, health living. Uh, so uh, we want to provide that opportunity. And then beyond that is uh, a required detention pond that has a series of boulder walls and that type of thing and trees and landscaping and so forth that uh, is required for stormwater prevention by the city. Uh, we actually are oversizing it um, because um, the property next door to us is for sale. And um, the prime development piece on that particular piece of property overlooks the river. And uh, it, I don't think it should be a detention pond. So we're going to offer whoever buys that or if we do ourselves the ability to have their water drain off into our detention pond, which, as I said, it would be big enough to provide the require a hundred year flood requirement for our village as well as the adjacent neighborhood village if if that's what eventually happens there. So hopefully I gave a picture of what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so are all these utilities that you mentioned, like the electricity, the water, the internet, the storage, is that all included in the the five hundred dollar per month rent? Uh, yes and no. Um, the uh, they will pay the 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 water and the sewer. Um, we will get a bill, a, a common bill to the village from the providers. Okay, and then we will divide that twenty two ways, and that's what each tenant's obligation is. That way, they escape what currently is about a thirty or forty dollar um, basic monthly fee for administration. Um, so they'll save that much per month, um, to each of those entities. So it's probably saving $50, $60 a month for, uh, for the water and sewer bill. And instead it'll just be based upon usage. Um, then they will also pay the same kind of usage, not usage because it's not usage, but they'll pay one twenty second of the trash bill and they'll pay, um, their own electrical because each one of those will be individually metered by the uh, local um, electric association. So it's, so those they pay individually themselves. So those utilities they will pay if they have 
uh, television, they will pay that separately. And if they have internet, they'll pay that separately. Okay, got it. that. That's that makes sense. And I think it's probably smart to meter the electric because, you know, if, if one person likes their tiny house to be 62 degrees all summer long and blasts their mini split, you know, I'm sure the uh, someone else who, who doesn't mind the heat wouldn't want to be paying for all that electricity. You're, you're right. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I think fortunately it worked out a little, probably in the long run, a little better for water and sewer because uh, while electrical is highly variable depending upon the people who use it, um, water for a tiny house, as I understand it, generally isn't. I mean, you, you do your dishes and you flush your toilet and take a shower or bath every day, and that's that's it. <laughs> so actually, uh, this might seem like a left turn, but I was curious because um, you've mentioned that Ever, you know, people can have flush toilets, which is, I think, appealing for for a lot of people. However, a lot of tiny houses that have already been built likely have a composting toilet. So, will you require that tiny houses have flush toilets in Escalante Village, or can you use a composting toilet if that's already in your house? Ethan, on that, I've been asked that quite often. Um, right now, I cannot tell you for sure, certain if composting toilets are allowed the jurisdictions that we are under the state someone one time told me the state does not allow composting toilets period anywhere okay i don't know whether that's true or not um then the city of durango i have not heard if they will allow or disallow composting toilets but i have advised each of the people who have asked that question and said that their house does have a composting toilet to at least inquire at the city to see if um, if they can use it. And I have not heard back from any of our participants so far that they've either contacted the city and said, you know, we, we want one, we can use it or whatever. Um, the situation is, of course, that if the city tells them no, they can't use it, then um, they have the option of either just using it anyway we don't have composting toilet policemen fortunately in this city uh, and so they can either just go ahead and use it that way or uh, it's not that difficult to hook up a three-inch sewer line to it and just run it down to the sewer uh, outlet that'll be provided to each space right well i have one more question for you um which is, what advice, what is your advice to people who want to create tiny house-friendly communities? And another way of asking that question is, what advice would you give yourself at the start of this project, knowing what you know now? Oh, yeah, boy, Ethan. Uh, the answer to that, um, you and I probably want to go to bed before it's time to uh, finish answering that question, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but, but in, you know, in trying to keep it brief, I I've said to myself a couple of times because, you know, this, this process has taken much longer. It's been frustrating, uh, at times it's been more expensive than I thought. It's hard to sit here today and say, would I do this? If, if I had to, if I knew I was going to have those things before me, a year and a half after coming up with the 
starting the process, would I still do it? And, you know, one day I say yes, and one day I say no. So that that's the honest answer. But I still think more often than not, I will tend to say yes, because it's been, um, it, it, I, I've always done things that are in my life uh, that are different and unique, uh, all the way from my very, very first business adventure when my wife and I went into the bikini manufacturing business in 1963, you know. Um, so, you know, and then <clears throat> when we moved here and decided to do backpacks, we were probably the first people on the planet to develop a backpack for a female with female colors and flowers. And we obviously did that from, from um, because we had been in the bikini business uh, when we were in California. So now here I am doing, again, something very different, uh, which is a tiny home village. And um, I, so the things that would say, yeah, I'm glad I'm doing it and, and I'm happy I'm doing it, is it number one, I guess maybe because I'm older, a lot older now, and it doesn't, some of the negatives don't matter and don't bother because I'm not trying to A, build a career or build a fortune. Um, you know, it's not that long before whatever I own uh, physically on this world belongs to my children. And so I, uh, you know, I, I, so to that extent, it doesn't, some of this stuff doesn't bother me. Um, so, uh, but I get so many accolades and just like the compliments that you've thrown to me, uh, that happens to me on a daily basis, and maybe that just feeds an old man's ego beyond, uh, you know, to the point that I like it and I like doing. I like things doing differently, but um, I have, uh, you know, and I and I hope that I'm bringing some lower cost um, development to this town. We have tons of houses going up that are, you know, seven to a million and a half dollars around here. And obviously that excludes a lot of people from being able to live in those houses. Um, and, you know, I have, uh, in my 40 years of living in this community, I've done a lot of public service, uh, elected official as well as community boards and that type of thing. And one of the things I'm most proud of is having the time that I've spent working on uh, affordable housing in this community. Some of those efforts have paid off to the community, and I'm very proud of it. So I'm an, I guess I would call myself an affordable housing advocate. And this has, well, I, you know, I still would love to have been able to develop something where people can, um, you know, live for six or seven hundred dollars a month and and uh, that type of thing. It just is not workable uh, unless you have federal housing subsidies to pull that kind of number off. So, um, you know, I'm, it's a long-winded answer that I'm, I'm giving you, Ethan, on this, but I, um, I would say I would do it all over again. Uh, I probably would, I would know when and how to provide certain things that, that the uh, city engineering department and the city planning staff and and uh, uh, the, the city attorney uh, would want, uh, so, you know. So I would have everything put together, wired in. I could go do it again in a heartbeat, 
not that I really would want to, but I could do it again in a much shorter order and much less cost than I have done it the first time. So, uh, but I don't know if I'm going to, as I said, there's a a property next door that we're able to buy. Um, Again, I might want to just see how this process go. I am looking forward to working with the people who will live on the property and manage it for me and uh, take care of it. So I don't have to, you know, worry about being there on a daily basis, but I am looking forward to the day I can go down there and pick a few weeds and uh, maybe plant a few daisies and um, say hello to some very wonderful people. Well, that's uh, that's a great place to leave it. Uh, Bob Lieb, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for being a guest on the show. Yes, you're more than welcome, Ethan. And I uh, thank you very much for spreading the opportunity and I wish you a great deal of peace in your life. Thank you so much to Bob Lieb for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes, including links to Escalante Village and photos of the site at thetinyhouse.net slash 052. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 052. Don't forget to check out the Yestermorrow Tiny House Design Build Certificate at yestermorrow.org slash tiny. Again, that's Y-E-S-T-E-R-M-O-R-R-O-W dot org slash tiny. Classes start in a couple of weeks, and you can save $25 off your registration by using the coupon code PODCAST at checkout. As always, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.